When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Seems that there was so much thought put into each character and what they would listen to, what they would respond to, and what it tells about the characters is amazing because it's it's not just like here's some songs that they're dancing to. It's giving you insight mm. and bringing you deeper into the film. Welcome to Sync Lungs, sponsored by Sync Floor, a podcast where we get to chop it up about film music and production with experts from across the media landscape. The pairing of film and music is an inspiration to creatives everywhere. And today we have the great fortune of discussing the magic of those pairings with a talent whose discerning taste has influenced award-winning productions for over a decade. With a list of supervision credits that include Flinttown, Crip Camp, and Love and Tosha, Amine Reamer has demonstrated that taste and talent time and time again. For this episode of Sync Love, Amine has chosen Pretty in Pink as the film we'll be discussing, and I couldn't be more excited to dig in. Amine, welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. So I've got something very, very, very important that I want to get out on the table right here at the start. Are you going to make me sing? No. Are you going to make me sing? <laughs> I I cannot. So I've been I've been like totally prepping for this. I'm like, okay, okay. I'm gonna have I will to. make you sing. I will make you I'm sing. Like, I'm gonna yes. have to be ready to sing if she says that I have to sing. You know, yeah. and I know I think I know what it is I'm supposed to sing. <laughs> can, can we can we insert the songs themselves at the later point? Well, okay, so, so at a later point, we'll see how things are going, and if singing is called for, I've got something to throw in. So we'll, okay, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. All right. So so now before we get into talking about music and picture, how are things in New Zealand? Um, fantastic. It, it does feel like another world. Uh, mm. But I'd say anything I say, I'm just going to feel like an asshole because I, <laughs> I, I, I did, you know, I just came from ten months in LA, and I know. Yeah, I know. It's, it's rough. It's rough out there. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to rub it in. I am very grateful and lucky that I was allowed to come home and it has been kept at bay and people, for the most part, are pretty oblivious to what it is like mm-hmm. in the rest of the world. Right, 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 so, right, right. Uh, welcome from New Zealand. So before we get into Pretty in Pink, I'd love to talk a little bit of some about some of the work that you've done. And one of the things that you said to me when we first spoke really stuck with me. Something along the lines of the, the work you do can be for the meals or for the reels. I don't know if you remember. <laughs> Oops, <laughs> that. Yep, that, that is a <laughs> saying. That's, that is my saying. <laughs> that is your saying. And, yeah. and you're so, talking about balancing the need to feed your soul and to feed your stomach. And, yeah. you know, in the context of films with the pedigree of Flinttown and Crypt Camp, can you talk a bit about how you got involved in those projects and how you balance the need and the desire? Yeah, well, for Flinttown, I had previously worked with Peter Morgan, who was the producer. So the work that uh, I would say for the reels that actually <laughs> um, 
more than happy to be a part of. And it's often, you know, letting your agent know it doesn't matter, you're going to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's referral. It's working with people. But I think it's having a, a, a passion for the work, like when it is hard, if, when you don't have the budget, when you are, instead of going in for library tracks or what's obvious because you don't have the money, finding things in different ways. Like, I don't think I'll ever forget in Flinttown having to actually write letters, pen and paper, <laughs> because uh, this lovely elderly gentleman in, in Flint had written a song on the 60s that we found that we wanted to use. He was generous enough to let us use it for our measly budget, which was the same as paying what would be paying for a library check. Mm-hmm. But figuring out how to download a PDF and faxing was even like the future for this guy. Like, <laughs> talking to him on the phone, writing a letter, sending a self-addressed, you know, envelope yeah, back, yeah, sign yeah, this, yeah. you know. Making it easy. And, yeah. And you find yourself doing those things when you're like, this project is worth it, like whatever mm-hmm. I can do. And it was the same with Crip Camp. I think I was on it close to two years. So it, it does become sort of community based in a sense where they're like, okay, yeah, this person we know will give it 110%. Not that I don't have my For the Meals project, but it is a different ball. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. It's like, I, I remember you brought up Crip Camp there, and I remember you talking about fighting for sort of the least known song that yeah. actually ended up becoming the best loved song by the director. And it felt like what you were saying was that ultimately you almost are in this battle for the soul of the film as it relates to to the music that you're trying to make happen and getting the people, even the people in the crew, to really appreciate a particular direction. And I'm curious how you approach that part of the process. Well, yeah, I first had to change my own mindset to it not being uh, a battle, but getting people on side because mm. ultimately you're there to fulfill the director and or the producer's vision sonically at how they see the film going. but. I think as the supervisor, part of your job is to be an advocate for the project. Even if it is the producer and the director's vision, if you're looking at a scene, you have to come at it with, okay, what would work best in this project, taking into account what they want, what you think would work, what your budget is, all of these factors, and then trying to get that message through to the people on your team who often might go, actually, I don't see it that way at all this was my favorite song from high school and i want that and you're like but this scene is not that it's not that it's like let's look at the people in the scene and what that actually got a bigger picture and trying to communicate those things in a way that you can actually be heard so yeah like with um like a ship that that was something that for me there was there was a lot of civil rights era songs that i (laughs) wanted to get in but also had to fit the tone and what was comfortable for the filmmaking team. And that's luckily spoke to them as well, but they didn't know where I was going to go. So the scene with the Black Panthers are helping them. I was like, yeah. yeah." And they came up with putting it at the end credits as well. So it's like they fell in love with a song as they had it for a longer amount of time. And it's one of those moments where you sort of just smile and go, I introduced something new, something different. I won't say what song was going to be in the end credits that we weren't sure we were going to get because we were like six months in just trying to get past labels, publishers, managers to the person. Eventually we did, and they're both in there now. Um, (laughs) 
But yeah, it is one of those things where the fight that I saw the filmmakers have for this project inspired me not to give up as well. Yeah. Trying to make it the best it can possibly be. Yeah. But I'm so, so grateful that I was able to be part of that because I had no idea when I first started on it what a story that was. Yeah, and it was a pretty um, amazing film and the music was was really well-crafted and chosen. So and I, I, hats off to you. Thank you. Thank you. Honestly, I, I can't think of anything else that I had to not fight, but really, really uh, push to, mm -hmm. to get over mm -hmm. the light. Yes. And it was worth it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's fair. It. No, I get it. And, yeah. and well, you know what? What made me think a lot about that discussion we had in the context of Pretty in Pink, actually, was that I think the director, Howard Deutsch, I, I think yeah. he was going to go in a different direction. He was going to go in like a theme song direction with the soundtrack and John Hughes convinced him to to go with you know what we all know and love as that sort of post-punk new wave kind of direction for everything which became a classic and and so I, I I kind of imagine the conversation that they're having right two strong personalities trying to decide on what's this musical song right for the film but I but I think it's like John Hughes because it was like it was in 86 it was after mm -hmm. Breakfast Club and 16 Candles so mm. it's, I, I would say that would be a pretty hard battle to say, oh, no, I, I, I've got a better idea. Yeah, it's like, I don't know if you've got a good track record with music and film, you know. No, but I, he, could, so he, I, could have been, he could have been, look, look, John, that stuff's, that's what's been there, done that. <laughs> but but that, that's why I think Pretty in Pink is actually better than Sixteen Candles and Breakfast Club, because... He had songs written for the film, like If You Leave and mm -hmm. Echo mm -hmm. and the Bunnymen, Bring on the Dancing Horses. To think that those songs didn't exist before Great. the film, they were specifically written for the film. John Hughes one-upped himself with Great. Pretty <laughs> Just the new wave, it's within that soundtrack, I think every sort of different teen is represented. The fact yes. she she works in a record store that mm -hmm. is cool. And it's like, you look at um, Ducky with the Smiths mm -hmm. and um, please, please, yes. please let me yes. you know, kind of oh get gosh, what I'm I want. So, I'm so glad that you bring that up because later on I was going to talk about, you know, favorite scenes. And I have two of them and they both involved Ducky. But that particular scene and in particular music choice for please, please let me get what I want. Please, please, please let me get what I want. The, 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 okay, like, okay. It was so soft touch. Like it was barely a whisper of just that refrain for just like 10 seconds, maybe. You know what I mean? And it was, it was so, that, that, it lasted. It so much. It yeah. says so much. And it was, oof. And, but it's like, you think about it at the time, like 86, yes, the Smiths, you know, heyday maybe, but in, in America, they weren't mainstream and in the soundtrack, it isn't just one type of music. And I think, it's such a good representation. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, there's the Smiths and New Order, mm -hmm. but there's yeah. also like in the record store, it's... Uh, oh, Otis uh, Redding. Otis Redding. Yeah, Try a Little Tenderness. Yeah. tenderness. Yeah. Actually, actually, that's the other the one. That's, that's yeah, the, it's the like, other scene. It's and like, I was just like, oh. Yeah, it has everything. I mean, <laughs> obviously, New Generation can hear those songs and not think of the film. But for me, it's such an inspiration to go, not only was the music taken so seriously as, as such an important part of the film, but they started making the songs mm -hmm. before the film. 
And everyone says, oh, music's so, so important. But the fact they actually put the time and effort and thought into getting the right songs, getting songs made mm. is amazing. And obviously, I don't know what the budget was back then. But I, <laughs> I'm guessing. It probably wasn't huge. <laughs> yeah, but I'm guessing it was substantial enough that they're like they're going to value it as as an equally uh, important character in the film as if they were hiring a person. So yeah, I think John Hughes would have won that argument. Like, yeah, I, well, that's, it, fair. It, that's fair. That's <laughs> fair. Yeah, and I think he's the one that went out to get those songs made, and just the boldness of having. If you leave, I think it plays for something close to ten minutes at the end. Of the <laughs> like, well, the, the wacky thing about if you leave, right? The story behind that with the original ending not testing well, so they had to reshoot the ending and go get that song made. I, I think they made that song in like twenty four hours because they just didn't have much time to to just go. Okay, well, you need something new. <laughs> you know, uh, that's just wild. Just to think of how that would have changed their career. Well, I mean, they were already a, an amazing established band, but after the film came out and mm-hmm. the song and how it, when people heard that song, the emotion that it brought or the memories that it brought from that time. Mm-hmm. I haven't talked to OMD, but I would think it would be somewhat career changing or at I, least I like so. brought them to a new level. I think so too. I think like so too. worldwide. Yeah. 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 So it's, yeah, it's, soundtrack uh, for a generation. Soundtrack for a generation. Yeah. What a I mean, what a thing. and Suzanne Vega, um, oh, left gosh, of center. Yes. Like, left you of know, center. It's like, that's just, it, <laughs> I love that everything for the soundtrack fits together, but totally doesn't fit together because you yeah, wouldn't put yeah. Suzanne Vega, exactly. you know, exactly. with uh, Try Little Tenderness or The Smiths or, right. you know, it's or, or John or in excess. Or an, an in excess track that people wouldn't normally like think of yeah, with, with an excess. Exactly. It's just, yeah. It's all it's, so great. Yeah. When I got into music supervision, the, the question would be asked like, oh, you know, what's your favorite? soundtrack and I, I used to want to have a different answer than Pretty in Pink, like something like really intellectual and arty and now uh-huh. unusual and, you know, <laughs> obscure even. But I just think this is such a beautiful example of the collaboration that must have occurred between the filmmakers, the musicians, the bands, even the label who's deciding to put out the soundtrack. Okay. I would think they would have taken a step back because these songs were written for the film. This was John Hughes putting his His vision vision into it. And it being so successful and not being like top of the pops chart and the song choices, like I think, wouldn't it be good? I think came out two years before the film. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't concerned with is it <coughs> is it coming out now? Was it a huge? Oh, no, hit? not at like, all, right? Not at all. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He, you know, like Pretty in Pink itself, right? You know that. Yeah, nineteen eighty one. Yeah, you know, like yeah, it was at least a couple of years before, right? So, so it's ultimately what is best for the project. Who are these characters? What mm-hmm. would they listen to? What is this song what saying about? Them? Yeah. yeah, and so it seems that there was so much thought put into each character and what they would listen to, what they would respond to, and what it tells the audience about that person, about the characters, is amazing because it's it's not just like, here's some songs that they're dancing to, both lyrically yeah. and musically. It's giving you insight mm. and bringing you deeper into the film. That's right. Um, 
and giving you access to their thoughts. It's really, you know, you actually, you had the same struggle. I remember when we asked you what film you wanted to pick, you were like, well, you know, I should pick this or that. And you, you, you kept being hesitant. I was like, well, what do you really want to pick? And you're like, well, I want to actually pick Pretty Pretty Pick. And we were all like, yeah, that's, all, that's, that's awesome. Let's go for it. <laughs> Obviously, Rushmore's uh, a great soundtrack and I love all the, the songs, but I don't know if I could talk as passionately about it. But I do think Pretty in Pink over even other John Hughes films, like for me, it's like the penultimate <laughs> use of music in films. And fi- like not finding because Psychedelic Fur is Pretty in Pink was already out, but like opening it with seeing Andy on the wrong side of the track. Tracks, yeah. Kind of thing. And it's like, and pretty in pink, like the mm-hmm. sort of juxtaposition, not right. visually, but musically, seeing yeah. just how they sound. And yeah. they don't sound like a, a sweet, happy pop band that's that right. are pretty as right. pink. You know, and, right. and everything was... Yeah, just even talking about it, I'm like, oh, I'll give you a shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it's really great. And I'm curious how you would describe some of the projects you've done and how this film impacted your approach to supervision. The goal for me is who is that person, you know, the character, mm-hmm. whether fictional or not, who is that character? What is the scene? What are you trying to convey? Are you going with the character? Are you going with the wider scene around them that you're trying to explain uh, in the thoughts or you're trying to expose what's actually happening outside of them so it's all these different angles that music can convey and the importance of it whether it's score or a song what are you saying what emotion what tone what message are you saying with the music and sometimes it's the music is sitting in the background because it doesn't need to be elevated through you want them to sit in in silence it's always an emotional place that that I start out with what is it that we're trying to say? What is it we want the audience to feel? And then going, what are our options within that palette? You know, and then it's like budget and, it's, <laughs> and you've got like a producer, a director, a co-executive producer, and everyone's got, you know, a different take, a different opinion. And as the supervisor, you're taking on all of that as well. And then hopefully having a a really amazing collaborative discussion about what you want to achieve. So I I imagine, and it is in my imagination, but I imagine that that was the process for Pretty in Pink, where it was (laughs) everyone in a room discussing what they're going for, getting the songs made, and it being a true idea of everyone's on the same page of what they want for that scene, for that character. What are they trying to say? That's where I'd like to start my projects from. And depending, obviously, on what they are and who's involved, like sometimes your job is actually, you've been given that list where then it's saying, these are the songs we want, these are the scenes we want them in, and your job is to go and negotiate and get them. And that's when I say for the meals, like for the real, mm-hmm. when it's a, a true collaboration, where your idea about, the character, what you're trying to convey, the emotion, you're part of that process. And that's kind of living the dream when you get a team who you can have those discussions with. I love everyone I work with, but a while back I worked with a director, Jamie Travis, who I think had excellent taste in music. (laughs) And he also thought I had excellent taste in music. Yeah, it's all good. Because I like (laughs) 
really well. And it's like, so, you know, a lot of the ideas would be his and a lot of the ideas would be mine, but would come to a good place because it was based on the scene and the characters and the motivation and what you want the audience to feel. And that excitement just makes the whole job worthwhile. Get to work with people who are just truly collaborative. Yeah. You kind of set up my next couple of questions here with with talking about your process that it's great. It's awesome. I love it. So you and John, you're in the room. You got piles of records around. You're thinking about what you got to make happen here. This is about a soundtrack for a generation. You know, there's a lot of feeling about the kind of music that was put in here. Do you feel like there's anything that is missing? Would you tell him, hey, how come we didn't get this in here? What I think it was all pretty covered, including when they go to the club and it's a, a totally different <laughs> kind of music. And I, the question I would have for John that I would love to ask him is why not Nick Kershaw's version of Wouldn't It Be Good? And I think he had that covered. I don't think the cover already existed of Wouldn't It Be Good by Three Dog Nights. But I was like, was that a was that a nod to a previous generation? Because this came out yeah. in 86 and Three Dog Night was late 60s, early 70s. Like, mm-hmm. I would want to know the thought process behind, because the song, I think, is amazingly appropriate for the film. Oh, yeah. You know, what it would be like to be in someone else's shoes, like yeah. she's imagining yeah, yeah. rich and popular, yeah. that sort of stuff. And I would think vice versa to have that freedom for Blaine. Blaine, yeah. Yeah, no, Richard, for him to not have those concerns and that weight of the appropriate mm. social status. So, yeah, I I would be so curious, you know, why not the original? Yeah. Because yeah. the song is perfect, but why did you... Yeah, why that one? Yeah, interesting. Yeah. All right. Please tell me. Please. You're like, I've been wondering for a long time. So then here's a second one. So as we talked about a little bit before, this wasn't the original ending that, that ended up being in the film. So let's say, let's say it was the original ending. It's Ducky ends up with Andy. And what would you choose as a song for that ending? <laughs> wow. That's, yeah, not, not at all prepared. Um, wow. What would I choose? Yeah. I don't know if I'd actually go for another Smith song. There's a light mm-hmm. that never goes out. Mm-hmm. Cause that's like to die by your side there. Yeah. You know, exactly yeah, yeah, like, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. I feel that would be, cause that would be from Ducky's perspective. Yeah. Yeah. But I agree the ending needed to be changed, but, um, yeah. or something really celebratory, just like straight up, straight up. Yeah. Uh, happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like big, like if you'd go even like Motown, because Ducky is yeah obviously like how we dress and the yes yes yeah. maybe the faces ooh la la like go la la. yeah that feels appropriate to to Ducky because I think if they ended up together it was a celebration of sort of Ducky's personality and goofiness and charm winning her over yeah you know finally but. So there's a really weird piece of trivia that I found that I'm curious if uh, you came across this. So the bouncer at the club was Andrew Dice Clay. Um, I did not know that. Yes, yeah, so it was it was Andrew Dice Clay, and Andrew Dice Clay had this bit he would do in his comedy routines where he'd go, "Oh, I grew yeah. up in New Zealand." In my defense, so that's right, fair enough. Fair that, enough. That, yeah, yeah. But this is this is the bit he would do. But it turns out that that exact bit is the thing that's sampled for EMF 
for no. their song. It's that it's it's him doing that. So that oh wow, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a I did not know weird, that. That's amazing. Weird, weird yeah, stuff. That's a deep dive. <laughs> a deep dive. That is a super. <laughs> that is a super deep dive. So like, that's the piece of trivia I'll leave you with. And what I'd love to hear from you is, and and I know all, all our listeners would love to hear this is what are you working on now? Uh, a few things. Um, I am working on the upcoming TV show for Apple's um, Shandram based on the book. Very, very excited about that. Right. Um, and when does that land? I think we're a fair ways off because we are starting filming in a couple months. I am currently in post on six music documentaries. Wow. Uh, for the Ringer, and they'll be on HBO. And awesome. They're all fantastic. And the ones I'm currently like deep in now, Woodstock Rumble Warren, Warren, which is so fascinating. <laughs> and, and lucky enough to be working again with Garrett Price, who was the director for Love Antosha. Nice. Nice. Directing that one. Alanis Morissette, a doc about her. Nice. A doc about Kenny G, which is oh wow, so interesting. <laughs> it is so interesting. Yeah, I have I have a I, Kenny G story that I'm going to have to tell you offline sometime. <laughs> I, I definitely want to hear. Um, and then an amazing doc about Robert Stigwood and his influence on the music scene at the time, disco, like RSO Records. He was a person behind the Bee Gees, Yvonne mm -hmm. Tolan, Jesus Christ Superstar, Tommy, Grease, no. Saturday Night Fever. So that one's pretty intense yes. uh, and fantastically interesting. And the other two we haven't quite kicked off on yet, Juice World. Oh, wow. So I do wow. Juice World. Wow, uh, what so a slate. What a yeah. <laughs> you are You are very, very busy. There, there is, there is always more time because that's I live and breathe music and music supervision. And, well, thank um, you for sharing that. That's that sounds amazing. Can't wait to to get to to see and hear those projects. Yay! Yeah, yeah. it's me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we have a thing that we do at the end of each of these episodes where we ask our guest to tell us about a scene. There's a period of music and picture. That always gets you. You could have uh, sent me that question like you know, a day, a week before. <laughs> yeah, but it's no, it's no, it's no fun then. <laughs> yeah, but it's like immediately my brain just went a hundred percent. Like I'm like, what? There are a couple actually. I would say the creation in Rushmore that mm. always makes me happy when I hear it. Like every time right. it doesn't get old. There you go. All right. Well, gosh. I mean, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for sharing so much of yourself and your thoughts and, mm -hmm. and being so fun to talk to on the show. And thank you for being here with us. Thank you. These are my favorite type of conversations. So. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> we'll do it again sometime. And I will sign off. I am your host, Kurt DeBeek, and this has been another episode of Sync Club. Until next time, keep listening to the movies. Sync Club is a co-production of Sync Floor and Electrocast Media. On our next episode, Heather Boyd tells us how Cameron Crowe's Vanilla Sky inspired her career in music supervision. Our producer is David Tausick. Our executive producers are Mark Netter and Peter Rafelson. Our editor is Cam Castro. 
Special thanks to Syncsor artists Nakam and Mokonf and Syncsor Parker Motor Music for their musical contributions to the show, as well as designer Jeremiah Whitaker for our Syncsor cover art. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like this show, give us a rating and tell your friends. Until next time, I'm your host, Kurt Dubik. Keep listening to the movies. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast.